Seacoast Church, I cannot wait to see how the Lord multiplies your kingdom impact through your generosity. At One Hope, we're incredibly excited at the opportunity to partner with you on a Bible translation project. It has the potential to reach millions of people with hope from God's Word. Right now, over a billion people lack access to complete Bibles in their heart language, and more than 3,600 languages still need Bible translation. It's estimated that a portion of God's Word can be made accessible to everyone by 2033 if we all make it a priority. You can take a step forward as a church family toward eradicating Bible poverty. Everyone should have the opportunity to experience God's Word in a way they can understand in their own heart language. And we can make that possible for people who speak the Eastern Punjabi dialect. No scripture translation currently exists of this particular language, which is spoken across India and Pakistan. More than 48 million people use this dialect, and two out of three people are living below the poverty line. Together, we have the opportunity to translate the Bible to see the people who speak Punjabi experience the hope of the gospel. This would be a joint project between One Hope, our friends at Biblica, and you at Seacoast. Bible translation is a key step in pointing these communities towards Christ. This project also would foster the growth of needed churches and scripture engagement programs to serve the next generation and their families. So I look forward to being on this journey with you and affecting the destiny of millions of people through our collaborative kingdom partnership. All right, hey, can you join me in celebrating that partnership? How cool that we get to carry God's word all over the earth be a part of seeing people exposed to the good news. We're excited about that. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So excited that you are here to worship with us this weekend. You know, news like that is something that we talked about two weeks ago when we wrapped up a series that we had been in called The Tide is Rising. We believe that we're experiencing a move of God in our church, and we don't want to be a people who look back on it years from now and talk about the work that God did, talk about the stuff that happened. We want to be able to prophesy to it, prepare for it, see him do it in our hearts, and be a people that steward a move of God in real time today. So over the course of that series, we prayed together every day at 320, sent out text reminders asking God to increase our expectation, prepare our hearts. We concluded that series with Pastor Josh giving some practical vision of ways that he believes we're supposed to prepare as a church to continue to reach people, serve people, share the good news with people. And because of that, we're going to receive a legacy offering on November 13th. And I want to invite you over the next couple weeks to be praying about, God, how would you call me to be a part of that? And so to, uh, to give you a little context as to why I'm so excited about it and why it's so important to me. I want to tell you a little bit of a story. A couple years ago, I've shared this before, but I was at a gas station at the corner of Highway 41 and 17, and I walked inside to pay for my gas, and there was a dude behind me in line at the gas station and said, oh, man, I love them jeans, man. Where'd you get them jeans? And I was like, I don't know, uh, Marshalls maybe? You know, like some kind of designer jean I got on a deal or something. Marshalls, I guess. I don't know. He's like, man, I like them jeans. And I was like, thanks, man. I'll walk out go pump my gas, get in the car, and I go to leave. And as I go to pull out of the parking lot, felt like God just dropped in my heart, like, hey, you should give him those jeans. 
I thought, God, you crazy, man. You walk on water crazy. Grown men don't give grown men their pants, especially in public to strangers. That's not a thing that we do, God, <laughs> you know? And so I go to pull out of the parking lot and God said, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to make you do it. I'm just inviting you to minister to him. You should give him your jeans. And so I'm going to pull out. And I've been praying for God to stretch my heart in this area because I tend to be more closed fisted, not in the area of giving away my pants. That's not what I'm talking about. You know? So I've been praying, God, help me to Katie's so generous and I'm just not help me, God. And so it was an opportunity. So I turn around, park the car, walk up to my man pumping gas. And I was like, hey, man, listen, I was just pulling out of the parking lot and felt like God spoke to me. And he asked me if I wanted to come, come over here and give you give you my pants. <laughs> and he went, he went, and I was like, here we go. This is why grown men don't do this, right? But then he said, for real? For real, man? I was like, yeah, I got some athletic shorts in the car. I can go in and change. You're like, man, that'd be awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I walk in, change, walk out with boots and athletic shorts and hand a stranger my jeans. Say, hey, God bless you, man. He just wants you to know that he loves you. He wants to bring about blessing in your life today, and he invited me to be a part of it. And that is the invitation for you. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Some of y'all are laughing. We're not asking for your pants. Keep your pants, okay? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 was the verse he was stretching me with in that season. It says, each man must decide in his heart what he'll give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. This isn't a pressure situation from him or us, but it is an invitation for all of us to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. There's been years where God had called our family to double our giving. We had to call all the kids into the living room knowing the only way this is going to happen is if everybody sacrifices, and we had to give vision for that. There's been years we called the kids and said, hey, we want each of you to come up with a plan and pray about what is God calling you to give. We'd go up to the offering boxes with bags of coin from yard sales, lemonade sales, all kind of stuff. There was one year where God had put us in a position to be able to write a check. And I remember standing at an offering box. We didn't even own checks. I had to go to the bank and ask for a check. Like, how do you do this, right? But I wanted to see the number written out because I didn't think we would ever be able or that I would be willing to give a check like that. And I remember standing at an offering box to drop it in crying, just moved by God because of the work he was doing in my heart. And I'm sure some of you saw me thinking like, man, Pastor Josh really struggles to give, right? <laughs> But God was moving in me. And so it's the invitation for you. I just want to invite you to pray. Ask God, God, is there anything you're calling me to? Anything you're calling our family to? And what in my mind I see is the elementary age kid, the teenager, the young professional, the experienced business owner, the retiree, the unemployed, the underemployed, that all of us, as we come together as the family of God and do what he's called us to do, we're going to get to see him do the impossible. So I want to take just a minute, pray over that offering date on the 13th, pray over our time together today. Ask God that he would keep our team and Israel today safe. Pastor Josh, Joel, all those that are there, we're excited for you. Let's pray for their safety and we'll jump into the word for today. God, we pray over this offering on November 13th and we're excited about the move you're doing in our hearts, about the opportunity that you've put before us to fund vision, to reach people. And God, I just pray for each of us we know that you are doing a work in our hearts, that you so love the world that you gave. And I've seen it be an area in my life that you've allowed me to grow. And so I just pray for each of us. God, allow us, allow faith to rise up in us that we would be a part of what you're calling us to. We pray for our team. Keep them safe as they travel. Pray for our time together today. May your word not return void. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Well, hey, last week we kicked off a brand new series called The Word 
at work. And the vision of the series, vision verse, comes from Colossians 3, 23, 24. I want to read it to you. It says, whatever you do, everybody say whatever. Whatever. And it's not one of those like, whatever, man. Whatever. You know, it's like, whatever you do, whatever you put your hands to, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. And the vision for the series is the merging of the secular and the sacred. You know, oftentimes it can be easy to look at a pastor or look at someone in ministry and say, man, what they do is holy. What they do is God work. But I am just a school teacher. I am just a business owner. I am just a stay at home mom. And our hope for the series is that God would give you some vision that what you do with your hands is purposed by him, and you are to carry the sacred into the secular as if he is your employer. He is the one that has called you to it. This past August, our oldest daughter, for those of you who don't know, we have seven kids. They range from roughly 18 months old to 18 years old, and our first daughter went to college. And she's known for the last few years that when she graduates, she wants to teach Bible and coach basketball. And she played basketball in high school incredible work ethic. She's a baller. I think she's at our Irmo campus today with some of the team. So shout out to the Rams. Proud of you. Had their first game yesterday. But she knew that she wanted to coach basketball and teach Bible. She reached out. There's a handful of schools in the country. You can major in Bible and graduate certified to teach. And uh, they also have a basketball team. And so she applied, got accepted, ended up getting a little bit of a college uh, scholarship to play ball. And I'm confident in a couple years, she's going to be at a school somewhere teaching Bible and coaching basketball. Now, I'm curious for some of you, as you look at your, your career path, how many of you would say that it followed a, a course somewhat like Anna Jay's? You knew what you wanted to do, you pursued the degree, and you grabbed hold of the dream, and today you're living your best life. How many of you would say that? We've got about three. We're proud of each of you. Good job. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Give them a hand. <laughs> My journey, on the other hand, I went to the University of South Carolina, which is God's chosen institution of higher education. <laughs> Why is that? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've been uniquely graced to live as a loser and grow comfortable <laughs> with that, <laughs> much more so than the rest of you. I started as a history major and secondary education minor because the guy who had the biggest impact on my life was a math teacher, and I'm awful at math. I'm not even totally convinced that God likes math, but history... <laughs> doesn't change, right? Once you learn the story, you just tell the story. You could put on a costume and tell the story. Keep kids engaged, right? But it doesn't change. So I thought, I can do that. And so I graduated. <coughs> Excuse me. I graduated on a Saturday, was going to start my master's in teaching on a Monday. And uh, that Sunday at church, they said, hey, Josh, listen, the youth pastor's transitioning. We wanted to know how you'd feel about working here at the church, kind of being an interim youth pastor. And I was like, working at a church? Like, I had never considered it. But I had just gotten married. Katie was pregnant. We were unemployed. Insurance and paychecks seemed like a good idea at the time. So like, sure, I'll do that for a year. Maybe then start my master's. Well, I realized over the course of that year that really all I wanted to do with my life was be an undercover missionary. And so I, I stepped into ministry. I had just spent a lot of money on being a history major, learned a whole lot about Napoleonic warfare that I never used, right? And so I'm curious how many of you 
would say that as you look at your career path, it slightly more resembles mine. There have been some twists and turns. You invested a fair amount of money to pursue something that ultimately you didn't end up doing, right? And all God's people said, amen, right? Career paths can be like that. You know, our career path is largely a Western concept, a strategy to align students to become adults so that when they enter the workforce, they've learned as much as they possibly can in the quickest, most efficient way that they possibly can so that they can step into using the gifts that God has given them. And regardless of how you got where you are on your career path, there's one step in that journey that we all celebrate, love, and appreciate, and it's the concept of promotion, right? If your spouse your best friend, your son, your daughter, or one of your parents were to give you a call at the end of the day, this coming Monday, and said, hey, hey, how you doing? Which was really a seed question. They care, but they don't care because they want you to say, how are you doing? Let me tell you, let me tell you, I'm doing great, man. The boss called me into his office today, and I got to tell you, usually it feels like blue lights. I'm a little worried. Like, what did I do? Was I going too fast? Am I in trouble? But they said, listen, we've been watching you, your contribution to the company, your attitude and work ethic, and we would like to give you a promotion, Right. Your response to a promotion is like, make it rain, baby. Yes. You know, you're so excited. And the reason is because in some way you're stepping into the fullness of who you are. All of us want to add the greatest value that we can, have the biggest impact that we can, bring home the most income for our family that we can. And the idea of promotion is something that we can celebrate and get behind. But my question today is oftentimes you can take steps down the road of your career path that God never intended for you to make. Promotion can feel and be so attractive that time can pass, years can pass, and we can find ourselves in places questioning, how did I get here? So my question is, what does God have to say about our our career path? What are God's expectation or requirements for promotion? And to look at that today, we're going to look at the story of a guy named Joseph who embodies both the vision verse for this series, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, but also the context of that passage. Colossians 3, 22 says this. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Joseph was a guy who was part of a large family, and his brothers hated him, ended up betraying him and selling him into slavery. And so in some of the most critical years of his life that we'll look at today, he was a slave, and he embodied verse 23 and 24, where whatever he put his hands to, he continually found himself in a seat of favor because of his attitude and work ethic, even though he had the most unlikely career path. And so today we're going to look at his story to see, okay, well, God, what are our four truths that I can learn about my career path as I step into promotion that I might do it with your eyes? The first of which is this. Pain is important in preparation. Pain is important in preparation. In preparing for the message today, I did some research on the psychological impacts of training and found that there are really six core principles, one of which that stood out to me, and it's the principle of overload. Anytime any adaptation is going to take place within us, if we're going to go to a new level of physical training, we have to overload our bodies. We have to expose ourselves to a degree of pain and suffering that we're not norm- that's not normal to us, beyond our normal thresholds, so that we can establish a new ceiling. And there's times where we expose ourselves to that kind of pain through training, and there's times when that pain is put on us. And that is Joseph's story. To give you a little bit of context, when he was 15 or 16 year old, he had a dream 
Uh, one in which some stalks of wheat bowed down, the other in which some the stars and, and planets bowed down. And he shared these dreams with his family, with his brothers, that one day they would bow down to him. Shared the dream with his mom and dad that one day they would bow down to him. He was this haughty 15, 16 year old. Well, as a result of that, his brothers hated him. He was the youngest son in a large family, the favored son, and uh, they just couldn't stand it. And so one day, the father sends Joseph, this youngest favored sibling, out into the field to check on his brothers. And as he approaches them, this is what we read in Genesis 37. It says, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. <laughs> our own flesh and blood. That's so loud. That's like legit brother talk, right? Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. After all, we're family, you know, <laughs> like, of course. So Joseph gets sold to the Ishmaelites. Now imagine this youngest of 13 siblings betrayed, sold into slavery, forcibly removed from the family to these people caravanning by. They take him, ended up selling him, selling him to a guy named Potiphar, where he becomes a slave in his home. He works himself up to a place of favor. Potiphar entrusts him with his whole household, as we'll look at here in just a little while. But as time passes, uh, he is lied about and betrayed yet again, and Potiphar is furious about it. We read in Genesis 39, 20, that Joseph's master, that's Potiphar, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This was not a good situation. Things have gone from bad to worse. He's gone from being a slave to now being a prisoner. While in the prisoner one day, there were two of Pharaoh's officials, a cupbearer and a baker that were in prison. Joseph noticed one day that they were discouraged. And he said, guys, why are you so sad? And they said, well, both of us had dreams and there's no one here to interpret our dreams. And Joseph's reply was, well, do not all dreams belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And so they share their dreams. Joseph interprets them. But Joseph says, hey, when you get out, one of them got out. He said, when you get out, please remember me. I'm not supposed to be here. I was unlawfully sold into slavery, falsely accused. Please remember me. And here's what happened in Genesis 40, 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot about him. Over and over and over again, Joseph found himself in positions of favor only to be betrayed by those who were closest to him. He was initially sold into slavery when he was 17, and he would enter into Pharaoh's service at the age of 30. So for 13 years, he was a slave or imprisoned. During one of the most formative decades of his life, man, your 20s are all about cultivating your identity. Who has God created me to be? Developing a sense of mastery that you step into as an adult. Yet for him, it was spent having other people make decisions for him, incapable of making his own decision. When was the last time, you know, I think about what I would have probably felt during that season. I've heard it said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? When you think about experiencing the same emotion over and over and over, if I'm Joseph, the lesson that life has taught me is that I can't trust people. 
When you think about working out, for example, if you were to try to go and do a pull-up, which is the most humbling exercise on the planet, right? Because it's just you and a bar, and you think, I'm about to whip that thing. Watch this. And you jump up there, use all the muscle you've got to eke out two of them. <laughs> You're like, I'm a failure in life, right? <laughs> but if you were to do pull-ups, time and time again, you get some rubs in places you're not used to working out. And in times, like raking the yard, right, you would develop a blister. If you kept working that muscle, that blister would turn into a callus. And it's your body's way of buffering itself, protecting you from the pain that you're experiencing over and over. Well, the same thing can happen in our hearts. If I'm Joseph and I've been betrayed time and time and time again without realizing it, man, my heart is just going to get calloused towards people to protect myself. But if there's one thing that we saw Joseph do well in Scripture, it was to guard his heart, to protect himself. Because now 13 years later, after having been sold into slavery, after having been betrayed by a person time and time again and forgotten in prison, he ends up getting promoted to the initial dream that God had called him to. And we see in Genesis 4, 23, or no, in Genesis 45, 8, when his brothers finally appeared to him when he's before Pharaoh, instead of saying, you bow down, let me give you what you deserve. Instead of bringing the wrath of God down on their life and sending them away hungry, he says, guys, don't beat yourself up. It was not you who sent me here, but God. There was a tenderness in his heart towards the place that God had positioned him. He didn't allow his heart to get calloused. Pain is so important for us in preparation. You know, oftentimes when it comes to our career path, we can see what I do nine to five, Monday through Friday, as totally independent from my emotional experience from home or totally independent from the issues I'm having with my parents or with my kids or with my friendships. But the truth about our lives is that all of those things are interconnected. And God is going to use the pain that you're experiencing, wherever it might be, to cultivate within you the character and the capacity to carry the things that he's prepared for you in the future. So my question for you today would be, where are you experiencing pain? Where are you hurting? And what if your willingness to engage in that pain proved to be the very thing that God used to equip you and send you into your next? So the first truth about our career path is that pain is important in preparation. The second is that loneliness is an invitation to intimacy. Loneliness is an invitation of intimacy. We really have no record of Joseph's character or convictions until he enters Potiphar's house. We really have no record of his emotional experience entirely throughout the, the whole book, but we have to put ourselves in his shoes to think about how must he have felt. When was the last time you spent any time with a large family? Since we have seven kids, a dog, like anytime somebody comes over our house, I have a fair amount of anxiety about what their experience is going to be like, because I know that it's going to be loud. There's going to be a lot of laughing and screaming and dancing and wrestling. And that's just Katie and I, right? <laughs> I'm worried that they're going to go home thinking like, man, that was crazy. And those people are crazy, right? But when you're part of a large family, there's comfort in the chaos. You feel like you're a tribe. You see the, the sense of identity as a family. Joseph grew up in all of that, the youngest of 13 siblings, yet he was forcibly removed from it, taken to a place where no one knew his story. No one knew his family. No one knew about his coat of many colors, his faith, or the legacy in which he came from. 
Yet we see him all throughout his story, which is one of the longest noted in scripture when it comes to someone's career path and the journey that they were on. We see him continually staying close to God. In Genesis 39, two through four, it reads, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with them and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. See, this was significant because in the Old Testament, uh, blessing was a result of, of relationship. God brought about blessing on the lives of people in whom he lived in harmony with. So even though Joseph was isolated, even though he was lonely, the blessing of God was visible in his life. And here's why that's important. However you take hold of something in life, especially when it comes to your career, is how you have to keep it. So if you step into a job where it's your intellect or your resume or your charisma or your income or status that, that landed you a position, you have to maintain those things in order to keep it. But if you're walking with God, if you're keeping an ear towards heaven, if you're responding in obedience to him, if you're pursuing him, wanting to, to live as his man or woman, and he gives you something, then all you have to do is maintain intimacy with him in order to keep it. And that's what we saw Joseph, Joseph do in the midst of his loneliness. Man, he leaned in to God and the blessing of God was upon his life. If you were to do a relationship assessment today, not in terms of the number of friends that you have, but who are the friends in your life that you can go to attend with, meaning that you don't have to posture or pretend or play any games. If you're in sin, if you're struggling, if you're tempted, are there people that you can reach out to and go to attend with, or are there areas that you might be experiencing some loneliness? Well, you need to know today that the truth is that you are never alone. Much as Joseph was as a slave in a foreign land, God was with him and God is with you. If you're feeling alone in any area today, don't lean back and wallow in the disappointment of it, but lean in, be hungry and go after God, knowing that if you will in this season, if you'll cultivate intimacy with him, then all you'll have to do to maintain any position or opportunity he gives you in the future is to continue to walk with him. So the first truth we see is that pain is important in preparation. Secondly, we see that loneliness is an invitation for intimacy. The third truth about our career path we see in Joseph's life is that temptation is an indicator of readiness. Temptation is an indicator of readiness. You know, one of the only things that we know practically about Joseph it comes from Genesis 39, 6 through 7. It says, now Joseph was built like Walters. And after, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> It would translate as slightly overweight and joyful, but it doesn't say that. Okay. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused, the Bible tells us. Now, think about this. Sold into slavery at 17, in the peak of, of becoming a man, any freedom he had in life had been taken from him. Now he finds himself in a position of favor, being pursued by a beautiful woman. The temptation or inclination of his flesh would be that I want to have some pleasure for myself. I want to do something that I want to do. I deserve this. He could have told himself any number of narratives, but what he did was refuse. He'd go on to tell Potiphar's wife, with me in charge, he told her, 
My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be around her. Day after day. It got to a point where he was like, you know what? She's not going to honor my boundaries. I'm not even going to have to. I can't even be around this woman. He had made a standard for himself saying, I refuse to do this. It makes me, leads me to question, what are the areas that you are, are tempted to compromise in? Is there anything in your life that's tempting you? What if your ability, your willingness to overcome the temptation in your life, your ability to overcome any area that you would be willing to compromise was your primary indicator of readiness, of when it was going to be time to step into whatever next season that God had for you. That was the case in the ministry of Jesus. Before he began his public ministry, we read in Matthew 4, 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then the tempter approached him and said, The enemy came to, to tempt him in the areas of his identity, his impact, his source of provision. And if it was the case in Jesus' life, there's a good chance that it's going to be the case in your life and mine as well. What if your ability to overcome temptation was the green light that you're looking for to step into your next? Don't see your professional life, your emotional life, your personal life as siloed. If there's areas that you're tempted to compromise as a man or woman of God, Fight back. Paul said, I beat my body and I make it my slave. Those areas aren't independent. They're not siloed. God's not going to carry or hand you something that you're not prepared to carry. But if you'll wage war against them, if you'll say, I'm going to overcome this temptation, it may well prove to be the green light to step into your next. So pain is important in preparation. Loneliness is an invitation to intimacy. Temptation is an indicator of readiness. And the fourth and final truth we can see from Joseph's life is that lowliness is an index of greatness. Lowliness is an index of greatness. When we first meet him, he's this 15 or 16 year old that has this dream that one day those closest to him are going to bow down to him, right? And he had the boldness to go and share that dream with his brother and with his parents, which sounds like something the average 15 or 16 year old would do, right? But over the course of 13 years, being sold into slavery being in prison, God would cultivate within him, transform him from this haughty teenager to a humble man. And what we see in Genesis 40 is while in prison, when the cupbearer and baker have this dream and no one to interpret them, Joseph says to them, or they replied, they said, we both had dreams, they answered, but no one is here to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not all interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream. See, when he was a teenager, he had a dream and he was bold and willing to interpret that dream himself. But man, some time has passed now and he's the first to declare, hey, dreams belong to the, to the Lord. He will give you the interpretation that you want. Years later, once the cupbearer had got out, the Pharaoh had a dream as well. And the cupbearer said, oh man, I remember the foolishness of my ways. I forgot about this guy, Joseph. Pharaoh couldn't find anybody to interpret the dream. And so they, they called Joseph up out of the prison. They get him cleaned up, dressed up. He appears before Pharaoh. And in chapter 41, it reads, Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you. I have heard it said of you. Man, that phrase just got me thinking about what are the areas or aspects of your life where people have heard it said of you? The areas where your reputation precedes you. You know, there's times in our lives when our reputation precedes you that the, the inclination or temptation is for your pride to lead you. Man, I've heard it said that you are a great businessman. I've heard it said that you are an athlete. I've heard it said that you are strong. I've heard it said that you are a great father. It's easy for us to respond in pride and just feel like, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I am. Thank you. <laughs> Pharaoh said, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. But at this point in his life, Joseph is quick to respond. I cannot do it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Joseph would go on to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Then we read, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, since God has made all this known to you and there was no one as discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. I can't help but think about the story of the prodigal son where this haughty teenager said, give me what is mine. Give me my inheritance only to find himself humbled at a place of brokenness where he would go back to his father and say, make me like one of your hired men. This is the story. This is the journey that Joseph had been on. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command, and the people shouted before him, make way. Thus, they put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Paneah and gave him Asnath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. Then Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. He had been given a freedom and an authority. He was set free to serve others. That name that Pharaoh gave Joseph meant the man in whom hidden things are revealed. What was wild about his journey, the fulfillment of his dream and the vision that he had for his life is his connection from the prison to the palace had nothing to do with his resume, but it was entirely due to a gift that God gave him. His willingness to steward a gift that, that had been given to him by God, his willingness to humble himself is ultimately what is what positioned him for the greatness that God had for him. You know, I don't know where you are in your career path today. I don't know how you feel about any journey of promotion, where you are versus where you would want to be. But here's what I do know. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I know that he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. I know that he is able to do immeasurably more in you and through you than all you could ask or imagine. But in order for us to step into any of that, we're going to have to be a people who don't resent pain, right? Who don't run from it or avoid it, but own it. We're going to have to be a people who don't shrink back in the seasons where we feel lonely. We're going to have to be a people who overcome temptation and are willing to, and are willing to go low ourselves. This week, I was talking with a friend of mine named Mike about his career path. And I said, hey, talk to me about how you got where you are. And he said, well, I started as the, the sound engineer 
and um, loved my job. I was loving Charleston, and my mom uh, got sick. She lived up north, and she needed to move to Arizona to be closer to a doctor, and the climate was going to be better for her condition. My stepdad couldn't move from up north. He had a couple years left on his pension, and so my mom called me and said, hey, would you be willing to move to Arizona to care for me until dad gets here? Man, he was so frustrated. He was frustrated with God that he was in this situation. He was frustrated with his mom for even asking. He was in his dream job in a city that he loved, but it was his mom, right? Of course, he's going to do it. So he moves there to care for mom, and while there, he connected with another church, and they had a strong leadership development culture, and he realized beyond just being a sound engineer that, man, he loved leading people, and he was really good at it. And so in that time, he grew as a leader. He also met his wife there. And just a couple years later, he got a call back from the church here in Charleston to say, hey, instead of coming back as the sound engineer, would you be up for coming back to lead the team? And so he got to step back into an even bigger role and come back with his woman on his arms. And as he told the story, he kind of laughed and he said, man, it's a story that I love to tell, but it was hell to live. He said that line, I just thought, oh man, how many of us have been there? You're in the lows of Joseph's life where time and time again, you saw yourself somewhere different, doing something else different, feeling and experiencing life in a different way. But you're experiencing pain. You're experiencing loneliness. You're experiencing temptation. We saw in the beginning, man, it's a part of all of our journeys. But if we will overcome, if we will lean in and cultivate intimacy with God, He's scripting an epic adventure for you. And one day, it will be a story that you love to tell. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your word. And I'm thankful for Joseph's life and how each turn is documented for us because so often it resembles ours. I want my career path. I want the opportunity of promotion to feel and be up and to the right. But oftentimes, emotionally, it is painful. It is lonely. It is full of sin and temptation. And God, I just pray as your people today that you would stir up a vision within us to bring the sacred into the secular, that we would be a people that hunger after you, that cultivate intimacy with you, a people who overcome and lean in in the midst of pain and struggle in our lives to see you bring about blessing. I pray over every area, anything that we would put our hands to, much like Potiphar did with Joseph, that you would bless the things that we put our hands to, the businesses that we lead the children's we, we raise, the classes that we teach. God, for any environment that we step into, would it be evident that we are your kid, that you are with us and that you are blessing us? God, help us to lean in and be used by you to do things only you could get the credit for. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if it's your first time here to Seacoast, this is one of my favorite parts of every service is where we take a few minutes and just ask God, what are you saying to me and what am I going to do about it? And I just want to invite you to pray through some of that outline. For some of you today, pain is important in preparation. Maybe there are some areas of your life totally independent of what you do vocationally that you're experiencing real pain. And God's wanting to get your attention today. You care so much about your career path, so much about advancing, but God is wanting to draw close to an area. He is with us in our pain. Maybe your next step today would be to go to a cross. Write down that issue and say, God, I've seen this totally independent of what I do for a living, but I want to focus on it today. What do you want to do in me? What are you wanting to cultivate in me? For others today, maybe you might be experiencing some loneliness 
in your life, either relationally with others or with the Lord. And today is just going to be a time where you want to come forward for prayer. We're going to have members of our prayer team available here in the room and online. And if there are some areas where you need to increase your intimacy, you could just go and pray and say, God, would you be with me? Ask them to invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in you and through you. For others today, maybe there's temptation that came to mind for you. That you would either say, if you were being honest, that, yeah, man, I really struggle to overcome in this area. I find myself giving in constantly. You can go and write a candle, light a candle. You can't write a candle. I don't even know what that would mean. Right? <laughs> you can light a candle. Just say, pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help me to be victorious? Help me to overcome in this area. We're going to stand and sing and celebrate an awesome God. We'll give of our offerings generously. But what is he saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Let's respond together.